0: So just to kind of quickly, very quickly review um, some of the main points of these three parables, this kind of trilogy of parables Jesus uh, brought in Luke 15. Um, you know, Jesus taught in this parable method. It was his favorite choice of teaching um, because it was, they were easy to understand and it was a method whereby he could communicate to the people um, in the Jewish culture at that time, uh, he could explain things in word picture just out of examples that were around, examples in their own lives that it made it easy for them to uh, uh, relate to. You know, he said this, he quoted um, the psalmist from, Ma- from uh, I think, Psalm 78 and 2, but it's in Matthew 13:35. Jesus said, "'I'll open my mouth uh, in parables.'" Uh, and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. So there's much more depth sometimes, much more understanding to be known in these parables than sometimes initially is just seen. There's always a reason he's giving the parable, and uh, but there's also, it's, they're, they're, they're rich in other truths uh, that are not far under the surface of the story. So as Pastor was saying, there was uh, three stories here. The first one was the... Uh, the, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep. And of course, that kind of, that's a picture, the lost sheep of the good shepherd. Jesus, uh, who said, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. So it kind of also gives a picture of him in that story. Then the story of the lost coin, there's actually a picture of the working of the church with the, alongside along with the Holy Spirit in the finding of the coin. We gave some examples of how the resources that the woman used to find that coin were through the, you know, through the lamp, the light, and through the, uh, through the broom, you know, she swept to find this coin. So it's the kind of the church, the Holy Spirit working through the church to bring, uh, uh, to, to reach the lost. And, of course, this final story is, pictures the father. Timely day, it pictures the heart of the father's love for the lost and to return the lost to his house. Uh, so every story is a situation about the lost. Uh, and, um, and also, the story is also about uh, the value of the lost. You know, and all the stories have common features. Of course, the first common feature is something's lost. Either a sheep, a coin, or the final story, a son. And then they all involve a decision to seek and find what's lost. And uh, what's lost is always found, and there's this joyous celebration in the finding of the sheep, the coin, and the lost son. So these things all talk about a single lost item, or in this case, the son. And, you know, that really speaks to us about God's value on each and every one of us. Because each thing is just one thing lost. One sheep in a hundred, uh, one coin of ten on a string of coins, and one son of two. And so the final story is much more intense because it brings in the the human element, the family, and this uh, father's son. So really it says to us the value of one soul is um, extremely important to God. And I, I made a point of the fact that the human soul is a unique creation. We only know uh, that the human soul uh, alone is, is created for mankind. You know, it, God blew his spirit into this body of flesh and it produced a living soul. So a living soul is also always associated with human life. And so that's also one of the reasons that we're just not going to be remain even after we pass as a spirit and a soul, but we're going to be reconnected with a body because a human soul is designed to be in a human body. Can you say amen? Praise God. So he's very aware, you know, God's very aware of the value of the human soul. Jesus said, what would a man give for his soul? What would he exchange it for? This great valuable thing. And so it's a beautiful thing, the human soul. And God sees the value of it, I think, so much more even than we do. He sees that it is eternal. It's eternal. It can't be destroyed. It has a destiny. Not only in this life, we need to fulfill the destiny that God's called us to, but the eternal destiny of our soul has only, as we know from Scripture, two destinations. Two destinations. And, and God has clearly said, you know, this is the way you should go. Choose life. Choose my son. Choose heaven, not hell. So, you know, this story also, all these three stories are um, initiated out of uh, the first couple of verses of Luke 15. And there we see in the the first couple of verses uh, the two groups of people that are being addressed uh, in these stories. You see the Pharisee group and you see the sinner group. And Jesus, of course, is ministering these stories to those groups of people that are identified as the tax collectors and uh, the sinners. And, you know, in the other group are the Pharisees who are grumbling about him doing this and giving attention and being socializing with these people. So really, out of the three stories, he's dealing with that issue of the religious spirit and judgmental. Uh, spirit of the Pharisees, while at the same time leading the people uh, to um, to the message of salvation of their soul. And so let me read to you again Luke 51 and 2, the opening two verses of uh, these three parables. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus, so... They quickly gathered around him. They enjoyed his stories, and uh, they were there. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, also there, muttered. That is, they're talking about about this, and they're criticizing Jesus. This this man welcomes sinners and receives them or eats with them. And so, notice the two groups that they're there. They're identified, and um, the statement of the Pharisees that You know he socializes with them so the problem that the pharisees had was that um they saw everything in the light of their righteousness and holiness um and that that was the what they had established was the way of righteousness was the way of holiness was what was acceptable to god and really if you weren't in that group or that club you were basically excluded from the favor blessing and even salvation of god so they didn't have much time for this group of people So they were known for their outward rituals. We kind of went over that. They had this rigorous observance of the law. And uh, they tended to classify people into either you belong with the shamed ones over here or you are one of the honored ones as we are. And so Jesus is addressing that social issue as well in these parables. And you see that with um, especially in the final story. Uh, of the two sons, because clearly the younger son represents the sinner group, right? And clearly the older son represents the Pharisee group, as we'll see. And so, you know, Jesus uh, gives us this wonderful illustration in the story, though, of the Father's heart. And this is a great day to express uh, the Father heart of God, because this is what all of us, not just fathers, should attain to, is to have the love of the Father in us, and to be able to release it into the world around us, so to me, the true hero of the final story is you know not so much the prodigal as the Father and his relationship with his sons so i 'm going to read to you the main text of the story, so uh, it 's probably twenty verses, but we 'll read it and it said then he said a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father. "'Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me.' So he divided them uh, his livelihood. And not many days after, the the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a famine, a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many days I've been serving you, I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you have killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. And your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So the story of the prodigal son. So the first part of this, you know, the elements of all those three parables is something's lost. And of course it starts out with the son being lost. You know, children do, how many know children do foolish things? I've been a foolish child in my past. Children do foolish things. And when children are... Uh, young when they're at certain age you can exercise parental authority that works for a season right we have a season when we have that you can set boundaries and establish penalties and consequences for wrong decisions they make but at a certain age at a certain age they acquire the right to make their own decisions despite your wisdom or the wisdom of God they will make their own choices and you have to trust the fact that you've trained them up in the way they should go Uh, that um, uh, that will remain with them. And you encourage them in what you have invested in them. And so this young son had obviously come of that age. And the father, this is unusual for this time. And even in our time, this is an unusual arrangement for inheritance. That he would establish a point in time when they could, uh, they could, trigger the inheritance that was due them, and the younger son triggers this, so he divides the portions um, out to both of them. It says that uh, both of them uh, received their inheritance. Although it's unusual, uh, you know, now and and even then, inheritance comes with usually the the death of the father. So even here, in this arrangement that the father's made that is kind of unique, you see the grace level of this man, that he's going to release, you know, this grace to them that is over the top of the normal arrangement. I want you you keep that in mind? You see these revelations of the grace uh, of, of the Father being revealed by Jesus in this story. So inheritance went to both sons at that time. In verse 12 it says, he divided to them, that's both of them, to them his livelihood. So it's not just the one son. They both received their inheritance. And at this time, uh, the tradition was if you had two sons, the eldest son always got what's called the double portion. The double portion meant that if there was uh, two sons, like in this story, that the inheritance would be divided into three portions, and the elder son would get two portions. The younger son, one. That was the tradition of the elder son in the family. So the elder son was well provided for in the division of of the inheritance. So, and of course, verse 13, we see the young son pick up and go and leave home. It says, not after many days, verse 13, the younger son gathered all together, that is he took all his inheritance, gathered it all up, and went to a far country. Of course, that's a picture of traveling into the world, the far country, (laughs) leaving home. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And as expected, the younger son wastes all the inheritance, finds himself in poverty, finds himself hungry, abandoned uh, to the worldly, uh, f- by worldly friends that he'd spent his money with. And uh, all his dream of fame and fortune has turned into a nightmare. And he finds his employment, uh, which really isn't employment. It's almost really uh, uh, slavery. He's feeding swine, which is an abomination for a Jewish boy. Uh, and his wages uh, are just the privilege of being able to share whatever the pigs will share with him. <laughs> so that's his, that's how low the boy has come down from his place as a son in, uh, in his father's house. You know, but uh, a search, though, is conducted. Remember, in all stories, the the, the sheep, the lost sheep and the lost coin uh, you know, the, there is a, a, a search is initiated for the lost. And although there's not a physical search by the father, although he doesn't send out servants to find the son, there's not a physical search that he establishes. There is a search. Uh, you can see that the father, uh, although he doesn't go out himself, um, he, out of his heart, he's looking for this boy. And, and you see the heart of the father given, you know, in Second Peter 3 and 9, it says, the Lord's not slack. You know, we don't need to be slack over where our children are. God's not slack. He's he, concerning his promises. some would count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that we should perish, not willing that children should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the father, uh, as this son is gone, uh, there was a searching. I believe the father looked daily. It says on verse 20 that he arose and came to it, when he arose and came to his father a little later in the story, and he was still a great way off, that the father saw him. The father saw him because not just on that day, but every day, I believe, since the boy left, he was looking down that road from where he had last seen him disappear down the road when he left. And every day he went out, I believe, looking down that road. Maybe that was his prayer time, his intercession for his son, when he Out of his heart, he began to pray that that son would return, that his heart would be changed, uh, that um, he would be moved in his heart to repent and return home. So I believe there was a daily search conducted by the Father. I believe this is God's heart, that daily he's interceding. We know that it says Jesus intercedes for his church. He intercedes for his people. So there's prayers going out in search of the lost. I tell you, as a church, we need to have prayers that go out in search of the lost. Hallelujah. Whether they be in our own households, like this one is, whether they be in our neighborhood, like this neighborhood we live by, or our neighbors next door, we need to have prayers that go out and search through the power of the Holy Spirit, that convicting power to search the lost that are on Father's heart. So the Son, though, is found. Hallelujah. You know, when repentance comes to this Son... Uh, It's initiated by, actually it's initiated initially by a natural hunger. He's desperate. He's almost dying. He's emaciated because he just doesn't have enough nourishment from just trying to struggle to eat some of these pods uh, with the pigs. So, but there's also a strong sense. You see this in the story. There's a strong sense of his father's goodness that he recalls. What arises in his heart is memories of the goodness of his father's heart. He says, But when he came to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and, and to spare? So he's saying, my, my father, he's thinking now, my father, I saw him how he treated the servants even in the house. I saw how they had bread always and not just enough, but to spare which means the father treated his servants over and above what a normal household or what a normal landowner would treat them. He gave them not just enough, but to spare, it says. That means they got more. This is a picture of his abundant grace. Even to those that weren't his own sons, but to those that just served in his household. They always had more than enough. How many know your God is a God of more than enough? Just not enough, but to spare. There's more than enough and to spare. So this is the father's heart. He's suddenly seeing and realizing how good, hallelujah, how good and wonderful his father is. It comes to him. Hallelujah. And he says, and I perish with hunger. So he remembers this. And this draws him, hallelujah, to develop a plan uh, to return. He sees that at a minimum his father could perhaps accept him back as a servant and he could at least live and have enough nourishment as a servant in his father's house. If his father would accept him. He says, so he says, I'll arise and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Hallelujah. So he realized the blessing of his father's house. That he couldn't find that anywhere else in the world. You're not going to find father's love anywhere else in the world. It's not out there. Father's love, hallelujah, is in the house. That's where Father's love is. You're not going to find it in relationships in the world. Father's love is unique. You're going to see in this story, it's unconditional. It's not conditioned on the condition of the son's return.